Welcome to More Than 7 Dirty Words, the official FCC podcast. I'm Evan Schwarzstraber. Managing the airwaves is arguably the FCC's most important function. Nearly every commercial device that transmits a wireless signal on a radio frequency, from AM radios to satellites to 5G cell phones, must comply with our rules, from licensing to interference. The way the FCC manages and licenses the radio spectrum has changed dramatically since the agency's inception in 1934. And while the way we do things today, like auctioning spectrum licenses, may seem logical and obvious to many, that wasn't always the case. So how has spectrum management evolved over time, and what has that meant for consumers and the development of technology in the U.S. and around the globe? Joining me to discuss this is Evan Quarrel, Senior Economic Advisor in the FCC's Office of Economics and Analytics. Evan, thank you so much for joining the show. Well, thank you. And um, I must say that that uh, I'm glad you were named after me. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my parents never told me why they named me Evan, but uh, it's nice to finally find out uh, after 29 years on this earth. Uh, so Evan, uh, like you said, great name you have there. Uh, but my second question is the same for all guests, uh, which is, how did you get to your current role at the FCC? Um, your name has been in the news a lot recently. And uh, I was, I'm curious how you ended up uh, to become such the superstar that you are today in the telecom world. Well, it was a somewhat um, serendipitous. Uh, when I was a freshman in college, I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. So I took biology and tried to sign up for psychology, but I got closed out of um, psychology. So I thought, well, I'll take uh, introductory economics. And I just fell in love with the idea that economic analysis could be used to make the world a better place on a large scale, not just um, one person at a time. Well, that's pretty remarkable that uh, basically due to a scheduling conflict, uh, your entire career has played out the way that it has. Uh, had you gotten into that, you know, whatever, 300 person introductory psychology class, this might have been a different interview. Uh, maybe you'd be psychoanalyzing me. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, things worked out because uh, things worked out for the American people as a result of your scheduling, uh, your, your delinquency in signing up for classes. Uh, so after that, uh, you know, where did your career take you? Okay, well, so after college, I went to um, graduate school in economics at uh, MIT. And then from MIT, I went to um, be an assistant professor in economics at Yale. But after five years at Yale, I um, concluded that academic um, research wasn't, wasn't for me. So I took a leave from Yale and applied for and received this Brookings Economic Policy Fellowship, which allowed you to spend um, 12 months with the government agency and two months at Brookings. So I ended up working in the policy office of the Department of the Interior, which incidentally um, dealt with offshore oil and gas auctions. So toward, towards the end of my time at the Interior Department, I got a call from the Chief of Staff of the President's Council of Economic Advisors asking if I'd be interested in working there. So of course I'd be interested in working there. <laughs> so, um, but those, those are typically um, one or two year jobs for visiting academics. Um, so at the end of uh, a year there, I actually needed a real job. And I, and, and I got several job offers and I spoke to um, one of the council members, um, Bill Niskanen, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, 
Yeah, he he's, he was a big deal. I've at, heard the uh, name at Cato and and um, and um, he suggested I take a job at the FCC, and uh, he gave me uh, one word of advice: Spectrum. And I don't know if you're familiar with the graduate. Um, if you are, you may remember that um, Benjamin, the, who was um, played by Dustin Hoffman, his breakout role, um, was at his graduation party. And Mr. Robinson came up to him and put his arm around his shoulder and said, Benjamin, Ben, I've got one word for you, plastics. Um, um, but anyway, um, the problem with <laughs> these cultural references from 1968 may be a bit dated, but um, for those out that, for that one person out there who may be um, listening and may be old enough or a, a movie buff, you, you. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Spectrum because that is uh, mostly going to be the topic of the show. So uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, for, for, Folks in telecom worlds who are fairly familiar with the FCC and, and wireless, you know, companies and folks in the industry, they are now used to auctions. Auctions are a normal part of life, but that wasn't always the case. So prior to the auctioning of licenses to transmit frequencies over the radio spectrum, how did the FCC manage spectrum? Well, the FCC used what um, economists pejoratively <laughs> refer to as command and control. Um, and the, the notion was that regulation, not markets, determined um, spectrum uses and users. And the, and the big problem with it was that spectrum usage rights were narrowly defined. Basically, it was controlled administratively. Use was limited to um, specific uses. For example, it said broadcasting or satellite couldn't do anything else with it. Everything was divided up because, you know, the government knew the best and wanted to, you know, fairly allocate the spectrum among these various uses. Um, particularly damaging was that we used to specify the technology. So for example, the first cellular service, um, which was this AMPS, AMP standard, FCC said, that's the only thing you can use. Um, you, can't, you can't use anything else. You didn't have, there was, there was like practically no technological um, flexibility. So, and, and one of the ish, particular issues was that they specified um, services location based on a point, not an area. Well, one consequence of, of defining licenses at a point instead of an area was that uh, much of the spectrum was not available to any users because the geography was not exhaustively licensed. And this is what we in, in, in the industry refer to as, as, as uh, white space. That was then, <laughs> and you know, nothing, nothing you know, happens discontinuously. Um, it's more of an evolutionary process. So in, in 1984, um, cellular service was uh, introduced um, in the United States. And, and the nature of cellular technology required a more flexible licensing structure, you know, covering large blocks of spectrum and, and, and within, a, within a 
large geographic area where cellular licensees could deploy multiple low-power base stations and reuse assigned frequencies as needed to meet the demand. Right. And you can imagine some of the problems that would have resulted had the FCC not changed the way it was doing things. I mean, when you say white space, um, you know, to folks who are who think that it's annoying when they see a dropped call or they lose service, you know, on a particular stretch of the highway. Just imagine how much worse that problem would be if the FCC said to companies, you can only have a tower here, you can only have a tower here, and then you're just large swaths of the United States are not being covered by any signal and the companies can't change where the tower is if we were still doing it like we did with the broadcast towers. Yeah, well, you know, interestingly enough, initially... Um, the FCC licensed every single base station tower. So I assume, but what what happened was that um, um, cellular operators would decide where they want the towers and then they would request the license. Now, um, and then the FCC would license it. So so it put some, you know, sand in the gears. You know, now um, uh, cellular operators can put a tower wherever they want, assuming that they meet the, the you know, uh, interference um, requirements, that they don't interfere with uh, adjacent um, 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 operators. So the old system, is it fair to say that, that the government, you know, basically deciding what can be used on the spectrum, what technology could be used on the spectrum, where the physical transmitters could be, did not result in the highest and best use of spectrum. And that's a value that we often talk about at, you know, at the FCC and in, in tech policy and telecom policy is that this is a public resource. It's scarce. There's no way to make more of it. There's ways to make more efficient use of it, but there's no way to make more of it. And um, it's physics and that it should go to the highest and best use. And uh, is it fair to say that the prior system of command and control was not resulting in the highest and best use? In a word, yes. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, cellular is the poster child example, because um, even though it was a much more efficient uh, technology than the old um, radio, um, mobile radio services, you, you could, under the under the licensing structure, you couldn't provide it because there, you didn't have any flexibility in use. And for the point that we were just discussing, the People didn't, uh, operators didn't have area licenses, but rather we, you know, defined licenses at, at, at a point. And so, yes, it held back the introduction of uh, really valuable services uh, such as um, cellular. Yeah, it's an interesting counterfactual that I've read about before, which is that, you know, had the FCC changed the way it managed Spectrum sooner, we might have actually seen uh, the evolution of cell phone technology sooner uh, than we would have. I mean, who's to say, right? You know, it's it's difficult to prove a counterfactual, but it's an interesting uh, cautionary tale about what happens when uh, government fails to move as quickly as it might have. Um, but getting back to you know the before time, <laughs> before you know uh, market based spectrum policy, uh, I love this term uh, because uh, we often hear about the way that licenses were awarded as being through beauty contests. And uh, I, of course, uh, was born two years uh, before the FCC got auction authority, so I don't remember any of these beauty contests. But it's a funny image uh, to think about. Uh, you know, maybe it's uh, folks who want to use the spectrum getting 
dressed up uh, to go talk to the government and uh, giving a nice uh, emotional spiel about how they're going to use the spectrum for the benefit of society. But um, what were these beauty contests like? Is that an accurate description? Of course, it's pejorative, uh, just like command and control. But is it accurate to say that these were essentially um, beauty contests? Yes, but I... I, I... First, let me digress. I think that the, the term beauty contest was um, used by the British because they're, they're, they're much more um, colorful in, in, how they, in how they describe things. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a reason why we fawn over people with British accents. Uh, <clears throat> the command of the language is, yeah. uh, you know, it's almost yeah, like Yeah, funny thing about that, <laughs> isn't it? <So>, um, <clears throat> but... <laughs> Um, so, you know, when I was uh, first working on this stuff, um, they didn't even use that term. They just referred to the, the very uh, boring um, um, term, um, comparative hearings. And, and yeah, I know, I know, that, more you know, leave it the to the Americans and the American regulatory <laughs> process to just refer to these things as comparative hearings as opposed to beauty contests. So, um, <laughs> but, but I want to be fair, you know, to the, the FCC, um, you know, even, even though I spent most of my career, you know, trying to, um, um, you know, advocating for flexible licenses and market-based approaches. Um, one thing, I, I, I think it's unfair to make it sound as though the, the, the process was, was corrupt in the sense, you know, you had, you know, these uh, people um, dressed up in, in, in zoot suits to, to <laughs> impress the FCC regulators and, 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 and so on. What, what, it was, what they did was they, you know, did it the way you would do something administratively. They set up a sense of, set of criteria in advance and, and then they had applications and then, and then they reviewed them, compared, you know, how the application compared to the criteria and they checked off things. I never heard any allegations of, you know, corruption, you know, that it was, you know, based on a, you know, sort of, a, you know, political lobbying uh, process. But it, it was, it was a, frankly, a boring, slow um, um, administrative process that, you know, often resulted in arbitrary results because the applications weren't, weren't that, um, weren't very much uh, different. So, for example, you know, you had to distinguish yourself. I mean, with, you know, and, and, and not by, you know, graft or, you know, bribes or wearing a, a wearing a fancy suit. But, you know, you had to come <laughs> with your application. You know, you wanted to come up with something that distinguished yours from from the next guys. So so they had, all, you know, a lot of things. They, so one story I heard was that in a in a um, I don't know if it was radio or television, whatever, uh, was that um, one of the applicants said, well, we're going to provide a hot standby transmitter at all times. So the idea is, you know, if the transmitter poops out, they can just flip a switch and, and another transmitter will go on. You know, you won't have a second, you know, more than a second of, of outage. And, you know, this just about never happens. But after that, so the, the, the lore goes, 
all future applications, they're always saying that we're going to have a hot stand by transmitter too. And 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 with 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 you know cellular, you know the the, the awards could be based on minuscule differences in, in the number of people. You know, we're, you know, these are all promises. We're going to cover, you know, 10 more people. I mean, I'm exaggerating, you know, but, you know, in terms of, of right. you know, where, where their coverage is going to be. Um, so so it, it, it often ended up in, in um, you know, sort of arbitrary choices among effectively equivalent applications, which is partly why we went to this lotteries because they concluded that if it was arbitrary, you know, among qualified applications, um, if, if they were really effectively the same, why bother to, you know, make distinctions um, based on things that didn't matter? And they just randomly selected um, uh, winners among those applicants that met basic qualifications. And one of the reasons they were effectively the same, as you say, or had very trivial differences is because the government, I assume, had already kind of decided how the spectrum could be used. So that naturally led to homogenous applications, right? I mean, if the government's already saying, you know, this spectrum is going to be used for this particular service, that's naturally going to result in fairly similar applications. And that might be why you're getting into very trivial differences like, oh, I'm going to cover, you know, like price is right. I'm going to go a dollar more. I'm going to cover 10 more people or my transmitter is going to be, you know, hot. And uh, is is it fair to say that the, the the very structure of the comparative hearing and because the government was already kind of deciding how the spectrum was going to be used, that the end result was always going to be similar applications? I think that I think that's a very insightful point. And, and, and I and I want to um, elaborate on sort of the the the, the relationship with auctions. I mean, you know, one of the things I'm emphasizing here is not just auctions that that change. It's a combination of of um, uh, you know how we define spectrum rights, spectrum flexibility, plus auctions. But but your point um, really emphasizes the the nexus be, be, between defining flexible rights and spectrum auctions. The, say, if you want to have flexible rights. Well, how in the world are you going to, um, you know, select among those with, um, you know, with, with with these, you know, rigidly defined criteria? In other words, it's it's just think of the administrative difficulty of 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 you know comparing things if if there's there's real flexibility as opposed to if it's narrowly defined and you can use a checklist. The the, the beauty of auctions is is that they're one of the beauties of auctions is that they're compatible with flexible use because you don't have to have somebody you know you know compare this or that you know technology or whatever it's just it's just based on you know who's willing to pay the most with the presumption that that party is going to you know create the most value right it's a subjective judgment and and you could imagine if if two entities came in with wildly different visions for how to use spectrum um, and the only determining factor was a judgment call by the government, that'd be really tough. You know, someone comes in and says, I want to use the spectrum for robot vacuum cleaners. And the other guy says, I want to use it for cell phones. How, how do you possibly decide uh, between those two without just making a subjective call? Um, 
Now, before we get to the wonderful world of spectrum auctions in 1993, folks who have you know some understanding of this world might think that the jump was simply from beauty contests to auctions. But there is this middle step that often gets glossed over when we talk about the history of telecom, which is the lottery system. So uh, you briefly touched on it in your remarks. How did we get to lotteries? And um, you know what were some of the issues that arose? It seems like a more fair system, right? I mean, you identified the problem of trivial differences in applications and similarities in applications. And if you know at the time that was an issue, and we said, why are we choosing between these trivial differences? All these applications are the same. Why don't we just pick them out of a hat? That sounds like it's more fair, um, given that it is a public resource. It's, I mean, it's how we decide lottery winnings, uh, you know, the gambling lottery, right? The, the, there's no more fair way to do that, right? So um, w- what were some of the issues though? You know, did it end up being a, go- a better system than the beauty contest? And, and how did we then get from that 80s lottery system to the 90s auction system? Yeah, well, I think it's a matter of debate, you know, whether it's better. I mean, I think the I, I think the traditional system was getting starting to get overwhelmed with with the increasing value of spectrum that they just couldn't handle doing all the all the um, comparative hearings. So, in some sense, it was better in that you could um, process more applications more quickly. And less litigation risk, right? And less, you know, it, ta- it takes less right. time than having but, a hearing. A hearing you know, takes time, right? You know, we economists talk about um, unintended consequences. Uh, so, you know, one of the unintended consequences was that the number of applications skyrocketed once people realized that that we were giving away um, lottery tickets for free for 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 something that's worth millions of dollars. Creative lawyers and engineers um, realized that they could create um, standard applications. And well, here's a term that uh, I think was was coined in America. They developed what we refer to as application mills. And... um, (laughs) All right, good job, America, for coming up with a creative term for the lottery system. So um, by 1988, um, you you could get a, um, a a complete application with all the technical details for $650 per um, cellular market. So what do you think happened when you could get an application for $650 for something that's worth millions of dollars? Right. So the F- so the FCC received about um, 400,000 lottery applications. <laughs> You know, for and this was this was this was for the the small, not very valuable areas, um, but it you know it, it took a little time for people to catch on and 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 it 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 was very apparent you know that it as obviously that it was random and that it wasn't awarding um, licenses to 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 the people who were going to use it the most. In fact, it was. Just awards licenses randomly, and then and then the winners would flip the license as soon as as, as soon as they uh, could. And there were all sorts of stories that that um, we used to argue against um, um, lotteries and for auctions. And you know, one that still sticks in my mind was a um, a um, consortium uh, 
of, of, of dentists in Cape Cod. <laughs> well, you know, it makes you smile, right? Who <laughs> yeah. won the Cape Cod um, rural cellular area or uh, rural service area. And then, you know, as, as soon as they were allowed to, they, they, they flipped it. So it, it just seemed, it, it just um, didn't seem that it was uh, serving the purpose of quickly, um, you know, getting licenses to the party that um, could value them most. And it was just a big, a big giveaway of, of, of money. I'm really shocked that those dentists weren't actually interested in building out a wireless network for the benefit of consumers. That is just shocking to me that they would uh, speculate on this valuable <laughs> public resource. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, if there's if there's just going to be a lottery system, one of the issues you identified is that people who had absolutely no intention of building a wireless network using the spectrum or doing something technologically of with course. it. We're simply speculating with it. I mean, it becomes a it becomes a uh, a, a moral hazard, if you will. Well, actually, what the economy, uh, the economist term for it is rent seeking, um, which is is you know if you're giving away free money, lots of people will line up together. And that's a uh, yeah well known term in Washington D.C. for sure. Um, so obviously, the big takeaway from the lottery system was not just that you had folks like dentists who were bidding on spectrum licenses, which is, or not bidding, uh, sorry, uh, that's the problem is that they weren't bidding, uh, you know, applying for spectrum licenses, but that these things really were tremendously valuable. And and maybe in the beauty contest days and at the early stages of the lottery system, the government didn't really understand just how valuable spectrum was and how valuable this public asset was. and it's it's no surprise to me anyway that the technology that demonstrated that value is mobile technology given where we are today you know with 5G and all the hype and um the the tremendous demand for cellular data and and cellular voice that we have in this country it's no surprise to me that that was kind of the technology that broke the the old system and uh so how did we get from that application mill you know on a less than ideal situation, to put it mildly, to auctions. Well, I would like to t tell you the story that it was um, diligent economists like me who who advocated for years about the beauties of auctions and in terms of increasing economic efficiency. And we did have many years of advocacy of that. And even, you know, um, Mark Fowler, who was the chairman of the FCC, um, supported it, and we had hearings about it uh, in the 80s, and nothing happened. So what was the impetus for legislation? So, and, and I mentioned legislation. One of the points that many of your two listeners may not know. <laughs> it, maybe, maybe three, maybe okay. four. My mom listens to every episode. Oh, okay. And I'm sure you have some family members who are going to listen, so maybe we'll even get up to ten. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that I that that, that, that I <laughs> exaggerated, but um, um, in any case, um, the the key factor was 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 not the the economics in terms of um, economic efficiency, but rather it it, it was the revenue and. There's a sort of an interesting backstory to why the revenue is so important. I mean, it turns out there was a particular 
um, feature that in 1990, um, Congress um, passed this, what we insiders in Washington refer to PAYGO, which is Pay-As-You-Go Act, which, which required new expenditures to be financed by new revenues. So when the Clinton administration came in, you know, they had all sorts of ideas about things that they wanted to spend money on, but they were, they were terribly constrained by this, um, this, this PAYGO regulation. So, you know, they, they dusted off an idea which OMB had been, Office of Management and Budget, had, had, had been pushing uh, for years. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, the FCC and economists. You know, it was, it was in, a, in a budget office, thought this I mean, would be a good source of revenue, which it is. Um, so the Clinton administration supported it for um, budgetary reasons. And um, in 1993, um, Congress granted the FCC um, auction authority. Um, but, it, you know, from my perspective, it was a funny thing. You know, it went from being like the worst thing in the world, you know, to, you know, the best thing. I mean, because you had um, people like um, Congressman Dingell, who, who had a broadcasters as a major constituent, constituency, and he was animately opposed to it. And then, you know, once the, men, the new administra Democratic administration came in, um, you know, he, he, he got on board. So, but not only did it become a good idea, but it had to be done immediately. <laughs> immediately. And just to, just to illustrate how hysterical it is, the sense of urgency, in the early 90s, this idea was originally proposed in a famous paper by Ronald Coase in 1959. Right. So that's why I chuckle when Evan says it had to be done immediately because this idea was over three decades. Exactly. Old. And and when I say immediately, you, Evan, will appreciate this. Perhaps um, three out of our four listeners will not. <laughs> but but um, the legislation stated that we had to commence auctioning um, spectrum licenses within one year of the passage, or no, of the signing of the legislation. Now, you know, you know, even when we're working at a breakneck speed at the commission, you can't go through the, the, the full process of putting out um, a notice and getting comment and, 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 and having an order and implementing something in, in under a year. And this was something that we'd never done before. And we, we wanted to do it electronically, to have an electronic auction. So we had to hire contractors. Well, if you think the Administrative Procedures Act for notice and comment is bad, you know, try the contracting process. Right. Procurement. procurement. <laughs> it's a nightmare. So amazingly, and much to the credit of, of, of Jerry Vaughn, who led the the, the, the team to implement it, we actually started our, our first um, spectrum auction in under a year. Um, we, it, um, the, you know, the legislation was signed in September of 1993. And I think um, in July of 1994, um, we actually began our, our first spectrum auction. So, so it was, it was, that is incredible. It, it, I mean, said I said, you're you're probably the only one of the four listeners that that, <laughs> that appreciates it. But at least at least I have an an audience that 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 knows something about how amazing <laughs> that is. 
Uh, so, so tell me about this first auction, you know, as briefly as you can. I mean, you know, these days we're auctioning off Spectrum for 5G, next-gen wireless. You know, we auctioned off uh, recently subsidies to build out broadband in rural America. But, um, you know, I'd have to imagine that uh, 27 years ago, the auction wasn't necessarily the same as what we see today. Um at the current FCC. So uh, anything interesting about this auction that might inform how the rest of the auctions that came after it were done? You're asking me, is anything interesting? Of course there's something. <laughs> <laughs> of course there's something interesting. I spent a... Co- yeah, try, to, try to make it interesting for, yeah, our, for uh, okay. our, the, the, the one person who's still listening. I think the other, the other two Okay. Stopped. Well, I'm just trying to make it interesting for you. Um <laughs> You know, how we should conduct the auction was, was a major um, source of, of, of controversy. And, um, you know, there are different ways of doing it. And, you know, in government, the traditional way was these sealed bid auctions like they used at the Department of the Interior for offshore oil and gas. And basically, um, you know, people would put in their bids for, for, a, for a lot and they'd open up the bids and the highest bid would win. And um, it was, and, and this was something that, that people thought the FCC could do. We could probably have a lockbox and, and, and take, and take mail and ballots and, and put them, you know, bids and open them up and, and find out, you know, which, which, which was the highest. But uh, Vice President Gore was a big fan of lockboxes. Yes, if okay. I remember correctly. But um, we 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 got um, lots of um, proposals from academic economists. In part, I you know I think you know to my credit because when when I, I wrote the auction section of the of of the NPRM and I laced it and it wasn't window dressing with all these references to you know, academic papers by, you know, famous um, auction economists. And I was told that when the, when, when, you know, our um, stakeholders, you know, saw this, they said, ah, we, we need to hire our own economists, you know, to respond because the FCC is really interested in, in, in what economists think. So they went out and hired all these expert economists who actually came in with some, some great ideas and, and, you know, like in the land of the blind, I was the one-eyed man because pretty much there was nobody else at the FCC that really knew much about auctions. And um, I thought that, that, that a particular proposal by um, Paul Milgram and, and, and Bob Wilson really made a lot of sense, but it was completely novel. And this is the simultaneous multiple round auction design. And, and there was resistance to using something so novel. And, and my boss in the Office of Plans and Policy was, was, was opposed to it. And, and here's a good quote for you. I don't want the FCC to be a beta test site. Right. I mean, it is risky. I mean, like you said, the sealed bid auction was already being used somewhere else in the government. And that might have been the easy route. You know, you have something to point to and say, look, someone else in the government's using it. So we can't get criticized or yelled at if if this doesn't go super well because someone else came up with it. It wasn't our idea. So, the, I mean, I, I can see why 
your boss was maybe a little bit nervous about doing something brand new under enormous pressure from this legislation to do something quickly, something ex- extremely valuable and something as important as, as the first auction. So you're exactly right. But you know, my view was, well, it was twofold. One, you know, I wanted to do what I thought was the right thing for, for in terms of economic efficiency. But two, having been around government even then, long enough, I realized that whatever we did initially, if it, it wasn't a disaster, you know, if, if there wasn't some kind of obvious problem that got bad press, we'd be doing it for, for decades just the same way because now everybody knew how to do it. The lawyers are great at replicating whatever has been done before, and we'd be stuck with it. So I thought it was absolutely critical to do you know, the best design. But in order to do that, we needed to do it on a really small scale, something that was small enough that we could actually manage it, but not, but not so small that if it's successful, that nobody would care. And, and one of, I think one of my contributions was to find an, uh, the right place to apply it, which was these 10 um, narrow band uh, PCS licenses. And what is a narrow band PCS license? For our one remaining listener, yeah, it's, it's basically an enhanced paging system. It, it it was like a you know sort of a two way, and you know a, sort of like a a broadband paging system. I mean, it's a narrow band thing, but it was um, that. To tell you the truth, it never was very successful service, but <laughs> so that's why you don't know about it. But but the auction was a big success. We got, um, I think, we got. Um, like six hundred and thirty-eight million dollars, you know, for 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 ten uh, licenses, which may have been only one megahertz wow. each or something. Um, so it, it got a surprisingly large amount of money for a small amount of spectrum. It was considered a huge success, and my my prediction was right. We we kept using that simultaneous multiple round auction method. For, for, for decades, pretty much un, un, until the broadcast incentive auction, even though the rest of the world was moving towards these um, clock auctions. Um, but it, it just, beca- but anyway, the other point to make is that it became the adopted standard around the world. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was a novel idea that was developed in the United States that you know, was a result of work by the Nobel Prize winners Paul Milgram and, and, and Bob Wilson, and it became the world standard um, for auctions. But my other point is also true that um, the United States, you know, clung to it, you know, you know, sort of, you know, past its due date, you know, when there were other things that were better for, for at least some situations. Right. So, I mean, yeah, your, your prediction was correct that as long as it wasn't a disaster, as you said, which is the very high bar that you set for yourself at the time, uh, that, that it would certainly have staying power uh, for decades to come. Uh, just, you know, you used a term of art there, you know, simultaneous multi-round auction. We briefly explained how it's at least different than the sealed bid where you get one chance. And if someone else bids higher than you, then, then you're screwed, uh, you know, to use a, a term of art again. But uh, how is your auction design um, different than an eBay auction or an auctioneer who talks really fast, maybe auctioning off cattle um, or, you know, grandma's estate sale. Uh, how, how is this auction different than, 
you know, the auctions that most folks are probably familiar with, which are generally like charities or antiques or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So the key difference is that in the simultaneous um, ascending auction and, and the simultaneous in the sense that all licenses are, are put up for bid at the same time and it's ascending, it's not like, you know, everything is bid on at one time and you just put it in a, in a box and that's it. It's, you, you can keep bidding up the price. So, so everything, it's, it, everything is um, available for bid at the same time and, and the prices for, for things keep rising as long as um, more people, you know, want it. Um, right. That's in stark contrast to, you know, an auction, a live auction where generally it's one item at a time. And once that item is sold. Exactly. The problem with those auctions um, is that when you're when when you're bidding on a item that's sold early in the auction, you have to guess what the prices are going to be on items that sold later in the auction. Um, particularly if if the items are uh, substitutes or complements. In other words, you know uh, you know imagine you know that that you 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 want to put together um, there's a way that the, if 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 you want to put together a bunch of items. That, that would look nice together in your house. If they sell them one at a time um, and, and you're hoping to get all of them, um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't know whether to even start bidding on the first one because you don't know what the, the ones are gonna sell for later. Right. And, and alternatively, you know, if, if, if they, you know, if, if they're selling things that are, that, that's compliments. If, but in and, and their substitutes, you know, like if they're, they're, they're selling, to give a stupid example, you know, Gordon rakes, um, you know, if, if, if they put them up separately, like, you know, they do first one Gordon rake and then the next, you know, you don't know, um, you know, they're, they're slightly different, you know, what to bid on the first one, because you don't know what, you know, what the price is going to be for the second one. Maybe you would have rather bid on the second one if, if, if you knew. So this, this avoids those, those problems because everything, is is available to bid on until there are no bids on anything. So so the auction goes until there's no bid on any of the licenses that That's are available. Right. And until that point, everything can keep going up and you can see what the prices are for everything else. And that allows you to kind of compare and see, you know, if I want, like you said, a bunch of nice things together, I can still see that. And and I don't have to guess and, and, and try to plan for multiple things in the future. Everything's happening at the same time. And until there's not one bid, it's still going. Yeah. And, and, and there's a reason this is not just the, you know, the, you know, the, the abstract um, idea. Um, this, this is a problem that this is, this, this is a problem that the FCC really faces with, with their auctions because, you know, what the FCC, the, the, the problem is that people want to aggregate um, licenses. Um, you know, like if you're putting together a cellular service and, and, and we've split up the country into lots of small pieces, you know, you, you'd want to make sure that you have got contiguous pieces um, geographically. Right. Also, it's, it's more efficient to have contiguous spectrum, um, the frequencies that are next to one another. And just to give an example of how many pieces there can be, um, in, in, the, in the ongoing um, C-band auction um, for aficionados, it's auction 107. 
in the 3.7 gigahertz band. How many people did we lose on that? Um, <laughs> um, there are 14 blocks in each of 406 um, um, geographic areas. So there's a total of 5,684 licenses. And, and so, you know, you, you wouldn't want to be bidding on them um, one at a time. And you, you, want, uh, you want some That'll kind take of- forever. Yeah, and, and you also want a system that allows you to um, aggregate them um, efficiently. So anyway, um, you know, to, to, to circle back to our Nobel Prize winners um, in economics, since is or to or, or to, to choose sufficiently between um, similar um, licenses, and their solution was for what I just said, an ascending bid auction where all licenses are put up for bid at the same time and the auction doesn't close until there's no bidding on any license. This seems like a obvious idea, but nobody had thought about it before. Yeah. And recently, uh, you know, this Nobel prize was awarded this year and, uh, a lot of folks, you know, at the FCC and others were talking about it cause it's a real, you know, honor. Um, and it's fantastic to see this particular type of work being recognized by the Nobel committee and uh, your name came up in all the news articles. And I thought, I can't believe I work with this guy and I haven't interviewed him for a podcast. So, uh, you know, your name came up in particular in the context of a uh, more recent auction than, um, than 1993, um, the broadcast incentive auction. And this one was even more unique than all the things you've already described about how how FCC auctions are unique, you know, different from eBay or different from you know a cattle auction. But um, you know, tell us a little bit about the broadcast incentive auction. I, you know, I did an episode um, with the incentive auction task forces, uh, excellent uh, staffers uh, Gene Cadu and Hillary DeNegro about the you know the repack, the 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 things that had to happen after the right. auction. But uh, tell us a little bit about the auction itself, why it was so innovative and interesting. And how you know it led to this great recognition that you and the Nobel Prize winners are getting today? Yeah, well, be modest about it. It, it, <laughs> it was it, it was it was a revolutionary change in in, in market based um, spectrum policy. So, um, you know, in previous spectrum reallocations, and the reallocation is where you have spectrum um, currently in one use, and and then you as as um, time goes on and and technology changes and taste changes the the most valuable use um, changes as was the case with broadcasting over the air broadcasting and over the year broadcasting used to be the only way that people would get you know video you know their their video and 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 then over time it became like you know ten percent of the households were relying on it and the other ninety percent were um, getting it, you know, through through cable or direct broadcast satellite, but they weren't getting it through traditional terrestrial over the air, and a lot of spectrum was tied up in broadcasting. So the you know, right, they weren't using an antenna, right. you know, the the which you know millennials are now discovering, and 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 Generation Z are discovering antennas for the first time and saying, how is this legal that I'm getting television for free? Uh, but that's been <laughs> the case uh, forever uh, that you could get television for free using an antenna, but as you said, so many folks are either accessing those broadcast channels 
via their cable box or their satellite box, or increasingly, as we've seen in particularly in recent years, they're getting it through their cell phone or through an over-the-top provider uh, on their you know streaming device. No, you're absolutely right, and and and, and you can cut this out, but um, it reminds me of my daughters who went. One of my daughters when 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 she moved into an apartment and at college and and said the cable's not working what can i do i said well you know you could use an antenna and she says what's an antenna (laughs) (laughs) that's why the wall street journal called it a life hack this this concept of purchasing an antenna to get free television including some great stuff like like football games yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I'm sorry for, for the digression, but um, it just it, it just proves the point. But anyway, so un- until the broadcast incentive auction, allocation of spectrum, which is allocation to say how the spectrum is going to be used broadly, was was and determined administratively. This is till you know. This is till you know. 2017, when we completed the auction, or 2012, when when we got legislation to be able to do it. You know, if you wanted to move spectrum from broadcasting to um, mobile broadband, it, it was pure, and and it would it would be a decision that uh, the engineers pretty much um, and 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 people in in the, in the wireless bureau would would you know weigh the various comments and determine how much spectrum should be move from one use to another. The thing that was revolutionary about the broadcast incentive auction, it was the first time um, that a market, and this, or in specifically a two-sided auction, um, was used to determine how much spectrum would remain in broadcasting and how much spectrum would, would be um, moved to um, uh, mobile broadband. And actually, when I say mobile broadband, you know, I, I, you know, the footnote is it's not narrowly defined as mobile broadband. It's defined as you know flexible use, and there's a lot of flexibility. Exactly, you know, what you can do with it. But you know, but but you know, broadband is a pretty broad service, and people under, yeah, understand and, and that's how, what it was. So, and that's how it's being used today. Yeah. So the the auction, you know, the amount of spectrum that was repurposed was determined by the supply from from television broadcasters and the demand by wireless um, carriers. And so it really was a revolutionary extension of the, the use of a market mechanism in terms of, of managing the spectrum. Right. And it wasn't greenfield, right? Like when we say greenfield spectrum, it's spectrum that's not being used currently. And there's very little, if any, of that left on the chart uh, for, you, for you folks that have a spectrum chart in your in your bedrooms because uh, you're telecom nerds, but um, you know it's a lot easier when no one's using the spectrum. You can just auction it. Say, okay, yep, let's do it. Like ready to auction it. But no, this was spectrum that was already being used by a different service. You know, broadcast television going back a long time, and thanks to the advent of digital television, you know, you and others recognize that you know broadcasters might be willing to part with a lot of it, uh, either because they could get more out of the the spectrum they already had because of digital television using less spectrum or because they wanted to get out of the business and they were happy to just to, to sell their spectrum and, and uh, take a pay take a payout and move on and do something else with their lives and um, that's that's what was really incredible about this auction is that 
it was really up to the broadcasters to decide how much they wanted to give up. Uh, but it was definitely more complicated than your average auction because it wasn't just the FCC saying this spectrum is not being used at all. Let's auction it. It was the FCC saying the spectrum's already being used and we need to determine through a market mechanism how much the current user is willing to give up for a new user. Exactly. I couldn't have put it better. <laughs> well, it's, it's almost like working here. I, I've absorbed some some actual knowledge, uh, which will be a shock uh, to people who know me. But um, so it, it's fair to say this auction was a success. I mean, it generated billions of dollars for the U.S. Treasury. That's after all of the the uh, money that went into you know repacking, quote unquote, the broadcasters. You can go back and listen to my other episode to learn more about how you know broadcasters had to move to different frequencies and, and purchase new equipment, all the tower work that went into that. But uh, as a result of this auction, the 600 megahertz band, this is the spectrum that was being used uh, before this auction just for TV, that band is now being used to provide 5G and 4G cellular service to over 200 million Americans. So uh, I know I'm biased, but I would call that a success. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not just about the money, as we say. Right. It's about the use. And uh, so, you know, that, that seems like a good you know, segue into one question, which is, you know, why should consumers care that we moved from, you know, the beauty contest to the lottery to the auction? I mean, yeah, it's great that they can use their cell phones, but maybe they would have been able to use their cell phones anyway. Uh, maybe the comparative hearings would have figured out a way to, to grant licenses to, to wireless carriers and, and, you know, we still would have gotten these great innovations. I mean, you know, yes, a Nobel Prize was awarded, so consumers could share, could or should care about it for that reason. But more broadly, what has been the result of your work, of the work of Ronald Coase, Milgram, and others to um, to to move to auctions? Like, what what has this meant for the U.S. consumer and and consumers worldwide? Well, my answer is going to be to poo-poo your well. It might have happened anyway. Well, of course, <laughs> I, I I was setting that up to be knocked down. Yeah, well, okay. So, so I'm, 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 I'm swinging at your straw man there <laughs> <laughs> because, because the, the comparative hearings, um, you know, were, you know, took years and years, you know, to, to decide through litigation. They, 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 they couldn't deal with, with large numbers of, of licenses. I mean, you're going to have comparative hearings, you know, for 5,000 licenses. That, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're awarding so many licenses that, you know, comparative hearings, I mean, it wasn't even, you know, feasible. And, 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 and lotteries, I mean, the, 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 and, you know, lotteries, um, none, you know, not only are they arbitrary, but they're actually slow to get the, 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 the spectrum to the, the people who value it the most, because the people who win the lottery, there's no reason to think you know, they're, they're not the, the mobile operators who are actually going to do something with it. So there, there's actually a... There, it's the dentist. The dentist is the, not going to and, and, you know, the auction design really matters. You know, the stuff we talked about before. You want something that allows the people who are going to put it to the highest value use to be able to intelligently aggregate the spectrum in the way that they want, you know, so that they can serve the public the best and they can make um, rational decisions, you know, in terms of which spectrum that, that they use when there's, you know, you know, different spectrum that, that could be used. But the, but the bottom line is, is the point, you know, without this, um, 
you know, we would not have nearly as much spectrum available to provide mobile and other services that the American people um, value highly. I really believe that. And, and, you know, people today could hardly conceive of spending a day without their smartphone, you know. Right. And, and, and the other point is, one of the other points, I mean, I, I could extol the virtues of auctions. <laughs> Let me count the ways, but... Uh, As is your but, right. Uh, yeah. But, but it, it also, um, you know, generated o- over $100 billion for the U.S. Treasury, which, which, is, which is not um, peanuts. And it's, it's, it, it's a very efficient way to raise revenue because alternatively, if you raise it like, you know, with income tax or something like that, um, you know, there, there, there's a, an efficiency loss. I mean, some economists, you know, estimate that about, uh, you know, 30 cents on the dollar is, is lost, you know, due to, you know, suppression of, um, of, of, um, of uh, labor supply, you know, from, from um, you know, the income tax. So it, it's, it, it, it gets, it increases the efficiency of spectrum allocation and it doesn't, um, cause another inefficiency in terms of raising revenue. And then the $100 billion doesn't even begin to capture the value to the consumers. And economists have estimated that the benefits to consumers are at least 10 times as large as the amount of revenue raised. So that's, you know, $1 trillion. I know that, you know, you know these days with COVID, a trillion here, a trillion there, it used to be a billion here, a billion there, <laughs> you know, but it starts to add up. Yeah. No, I mean, and really just, just think about your daily life. If you need any proof that what we've talked about today is important, just think about your daily life. Yeah. Think about how you use a smartphone. Uh, think about the spectrum uh, that you use in your daily life when you make a phone call or when you download a movie, when you're standing in line at the airport and you forgot you need to watch something and you need to download it quickly. And you can because you're on a high-speed network that uses this spectrum. So um, you know, before we sign off, uh, you know, you've had a 40-year tenure at the FCC, which is really remarkable. And um, I think we're all grateful for your public service. I know I am. And I know that uh, a lot of what I do in my daily life is a result of your public service. But uh, you, you've done a lot. So, you know, what are you most proud of? Um, maybe it's because of my short memory. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm most proud of the, the broadcast incentive auction. And, and you know, for the reasons I, I, I said before, but... Um, just to bore your one remaining um, listener, you know. It, Half a listener. Okay. We got, they, they got one earphone okay. still in. No, it, it, was, it, was, it was the world's first use of a market mechanism to determine how much spectrum should be reallocated for new higher value services. And those services are a big deal, you know, for, for the public. Yeah, and, and as I said, previously, auctions only determined who got to use the spectrum. It was, you know, what the, what the basic use was going to be, even if it was flexibly defined, was, was administratively determined. Um, and, and then we would allocate, then we would assign spectrum by auctions that determined who used it. But what uh, broadcast incentive auction did, it determined using a market, how much spectrum would be used for widely disparate uses, TV, versus mobile. And it ended up with, you know, sort of the right answer, more mobile. And uh, it's no secret to me and many others who know you that uh, you easily uh, could have gone on to different jobs with your experience and expertise long before 
the broadcast auction or maybe even long before the first auction in 93. So, you know, what kept you at the FCC for so long other than your incredible foresight that someday you would have the honor of being on this podcast? Yeah, well, actually, I did have great foresight. And, and, and you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, my, when I first took the job, I was hoping that I would be interviewed by another Evan. <laughs> and, and, and that was it. I just, I've hung on for all this time. And, and, and now I can, re- and now I can retire. This, this is it. It's a real honor for I'm you. Gonna, I'm yeah. going to tell people I'm retiring, but, but you know, you know, look, I mean, you know, and, and, and on any job, you know, where you really like it, I mean, a big part is the people. I mean, I just, you know, I, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. I, you know, I've loved the, the people I've worked with. And also I, I love problem solving. And, um, you, know, it, you know, again, sort of a cliche, you know, but, um, you know, we have really interesting problems. It's a challenge to figure out ways to improve telecom policy using markets. And that's sort of been my thing. You know, how can we make, how can we make um, um, telecom policy specifically um, um, spectrum use better using, using markets? And I've had a great um, opportunity to collaborate with colleagues and academics, you know, like working with Paul Milgram and Bob Wilson. I mean, it's just been it's just been a real pleasure to um, work with such brilliant other people um, solving these kind of problems. And then I, I won't deny it. An extra bonus. There's an extra bonus when you know one of my ideas actually makes a difference. And you know, like the broadcast incentive auction was was something that I came up with. And you know, to see it go from an idea to a legislative proposal, to legislation, to implementation was was enormously gratifying. Well, thank you for doing it. Um, you know, one of my favorite aspects of working at the FCC is that folks like you work at the FCC. So uh, not just because your name is Evan, but uh, it's been an honor to speak to you. Uh, thank you for uh, you know, sharing your expertise with the uh, half a listener. Uh, who we still have <laughs> have on their on their podcast app, um, but really thank you for your public service. Thank you for your contributions to the United States economy and the world. Um, so thank you for joining the show. Um, we'll leave it there. My guest has been Evan Quarrell, senior economic advisor in the FCC's Office of Economics and Analytics. Thank you very much. Find this podcast in the iTunes Store or on Google Play uh, or wherever you get your podcast. Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. And uh, we'll catch you next time.